Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer, here with my lovely co-host, Maria Velasquez. And we are so excited because today we have a very special guest. We have someone who is both a security person and a marketer combined into one fabulous person. We have Mitch Main. He is a cybersecurity communicator and incident responder. Mitch, we're so glad to have you on. So Mitch, give us a little background because you have a very interesting sort of mix of things that you do, right? Both the comm side and the security side. And we want to know, how did you come to this career journey? Well, thank you for positioning it as you did, because it is kind of messy. I am a complete like accidental cybersecurity professional. So my entree into cyber was I was actually, I was working for IBM and I was doing marketing for the endpoint solution portfolio. So it was sort of cyber, but not really cyber. And the general manager of X-Force, which is our truly cyber arm at IBM, had read an article that I was writing because I was doing journalism on the side, which doesn't pay anything. So I had to have a day job. And he's like, look, I just read an article that you wrote on like a central tenet of Islam and passing a bill in the Kentucky legislature. And it was really complicated. And you did it in 800 words. And not only did I understand it, but it was interesting. You have to come work for us. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you do. I can't work for cyber. It's like, all I know is you guys are like the cool kids in the lunchroom. So long story short, he talked me into it and I came into X-Force and I freaking loved it. I got to work with intelligence officers, incident responders. I got to work with the cyber range. I got to work with offensive hackers. So it became, I have a little bit of a superhero complex. So it became this great combination of me being able to leverage my skills as somebody who thinks a little differently than the military kind of thinking that goes on in cyber and my writing skills and my passion for making the world a better place. So it was a perfect mix and I did it for a long time. And I actually ended up being an incident responder too, because we developed, I was part of the team that developed IBM's response plan organization-wide, 450,000 people across the globe to major events like NotPetya, WannaCry, that type of thing. And we ended up thinking that this thing is really good. So we're gonna like position it and sell it to clients. And we did. And since I wrote the communication side of it, it's like I ended up working with clients on incident response. So when clients were in a breach, I got to leverage my skills for that too. So I learned how to speak intelligence, speak incident response, speak forensics, speak TTPs and all those great things and the alphabet soup that we have in cyber and bring it not only to IBM, but to clients. And we have some really fun stories about how communication works in incident response. They think that it's something that you can do if you don't have a marketing background, but as somebody with a marketing background, I can tell you you're a hell of a lot better at it if you have a marketing background, because you're actually thinking three steps ahead, things like, how is this going to be received? Do we have one source of truth? What are other people saying? Do I need to be reactive to things that are happening on social media? And that's a mindset for instant response that doesn't exist because we only do it in marketing. So <laughs> it was a really cool combination. Love that, Mitch. So all of this, and what's your background? What did you actually go to school for? <laughs> I am so not technical. I was like the guy. So I grew up in Idaho, right? And 
I wanted to be a veterinarian because I grew up with like cows and horses and dogs, and I actually liked them better than people sometimes. So I wanted to be a veterinarian. So when I went to school, I sort of steered my classes like in high school towards science and math. And man, did I suck at those. I mean, I think I referred to the periodic table as the paranormal table one time in chemistry. (laughs) Barely made it out. Barely made it out and I got to college and I ended up majoring in communication and journalism and political science, which of course made perfect sense. And I'm, yeah, there you go. go. And I heard uh, someone speak at a commencement, someone who's really famous, whose name I won't mention because they're politically charged. And this person's advice was, you're going to hear the world tell you that you should work on things that you're not good at so you can get better at them. And I'm here to tell you that's crap. And what you should actually do is take the things that you're good at and make them better because that's what actually is going to differentiate you in the world. And so from that, I just felt like I had permission to never do math again and never do science again. And so I went to grad school and did more communication in poli-sci. And I ended up as a writer doing a couple of journalism stints. I did a stint as a management consultant. And then I kind of fell into the tech realm, which I wasn't expecting, but I live in the Bay Area. So that's kind of where we all go. And then I ended up in cyber. So here I am. And now I feel like I kind of have found my home. Amazing story there. And I do feel like it reflects a lot of, like Maria was saying, she also has a poli-sci background and a poli-sci degree. I feel like a lot of us end up in cyber, probably because it's a newer industry in general. So it wasn't, there's cybersecurity degrees. There's not like marketing in cyber. It's not like part of any curriculum. Incident response is not a curriculum, right? It probably is now, but not when we were going to school. So a lot of us just end up in it. So you have worked for quite a while in cyber, in incident response, in comms, in cyber. And I think we had talked about your philosophy on storytelling and telling stories and how statistics play into storytelling in cyber. Can you give us a little overview of what you think about and how you tell stories in cyber that get that attention? Well, there are a lot of really, really amazing stories in cybersecurity, but a lot of times when things happen, people don't want to talk about it. So you're kind of stuck. You're like, ah, this would be a great case study or article in a journal or something that we could build off of and make social tiles, yada, 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 (laughs) relating to this. So I'll just back up. So I actually did an unofficial survey of chief marketing officers for cyber companies And I said, the only one question was like, if you could gift your cyber marketing people one skill, what would it be? And the first one that came up was stop thinking that statistics tell your story. So that was a surprise to me. So the theory behind that is we get a lot of good stats and we'll in in cyber, let's pick on, um, let's pick on cost of a data breach for IBM because I worked on that. So it's like 93% of companies do X, Y, and Z. And we use that as our headline. And then we talk about that. And it's like, that's not really the story. What the story is, is that people are getting breached and here's what happens during that breach. And here's the outcome of that breach. And oh, by the way, sidebar, here's that 93%. Our stories are the actual narrative of what's happened. Our story isn't the 93%. That's a supporting proof point to what we really want to talk about. So the second thing that came in from our CMOs, the top three here, was writing skills overall. A lot of CMOs felt that our writing skills when we go into cyber are subpar, that we can't actually create a message. 
So the answer to that, I think, is to look at what people are doing out there and how it's being done well. And I think the third point actually kind of helps inform the second one. The third point super surprised me. And that was feedback from a CMO who, or a couple of CMOs who said, learn your technology, understand how the technology works. Well, come on, we're in marketing. It's like, we don't have, you know, science degrees or we're not engineers. But the trick was, is like, don't just talk to the product manager about how your product works, because they're just going to give you one view and it's going to be very idealistic because product managers love them. They all have an agenda though, right? Our product is the best and it does X, Y, and Z. The advice was find a way to go to a client site and sit with a client and watch how they use the product and what they like and what they don't like, because that's real world. Product manager is aspirational. What what we want the product to do, but the client actually does it. So talk to the client and figure out how it actually works. So once you under actually understand the technology, then you can create a powerful message and not use statistics to tell your story. I wonder though, I'm going to be on the other side of the debate do it, do here. It. How many of those CMOs can actually pitch their product? Well, I deliberately chose only CMOs who could. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That is a good question, too, because this is not a problem that just exists at the entry level or the mid-level in marketing. This is a problem that exists in senior level. And I think what makes it even more complicated is when you get to large companies like the size of IBM, and we have so many things that we are doing, right? So many products, so many services. A lot of times there's stuff that even I didn't know about. And it's like, I can't tell a story about this stuff because I don't know what's going on. But I don't think there's any shame in admitting I don't understand. And I think a lot of us don't want to admit we don't understand because we don't want to look foolish. So we let our little egos get in the way. And the beautiful thing I have found about stupid questions is A, they're easy to answer. And B, if you ask stupid questions, you make it okay for other people to ask stupid questions because all of us have them, right? This is way too much wisdom for a Friday. I think <laughs> we can thank coffee for that because it is Friday and morning <laughs> and Pacific time zone. So. How do you determine not just your prospects' pains, but their buying org structure, what they insource and outsource, their vendor selection process, and even their favorite podcasts? The 2024 Cybersecurity Buyers Report, prepared by Actual Tech Media in partnership with the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, was developed to provide hard-to-get answers to the cybersecurity marketers' most burning questions. In the report, learn some juicy stats on how large is an org's overall information security team? Who's involved on the buying team? Do they prefer to purchase direct or via a VAR? What's on the purchase list for 2024? As well as drill downs, really in-depth drill downs, I must say, into specific tools in the cyber tech stack, like security, awareness training, AppSec, EDR, IIM, and more. Get all this and much, much more in the 2024 Cybersecurity Buyers Report at actualtechmedia.com backslash CBR. Again, that's actualtechmedia.com backslash CBR. So Mitch, tell us a little more about CyberMinds too. Well, so I will fully admit that I discovered them a couple weeks ago. They are an organization, cyberminds.org, I believe, that focuses on the health and mental health of cybersecurity workers. And that's 
kind of focused on the technical side, like incident response and threat intelligence and those folks, but it also bleeds over into marketing because see previous comment about the fact that a lot of times in marketing, we're on alert when cyber events happen because there's things we have to do as marketers too, right? It's like sometimes when there's global events like um, the war in Ukraine, we need to turn off marketing channels and we need to be sensitive to things like this. So we get hit with the same thing. So CyberMinds does a lot of research about the health and mental health in cybersecurity, and they came up with 15 factors which in combination make the stresses on cyber workers stand apart from like every other profession group out there. And there are things like skills loss, understaffing, attacker skill sets, unpredictability, under-resourcing, hint, hint, we're all there, right? Success and visibility. Especially now. Yeah, right? Success and visibility and failure visibility. And what their comment to that back was, here, I'll just read it to you. The combination is both quantitatively and qualitatively unique, which is why we are seeing burnout rates in cyber exceeding those of other professional groups. The attack environment is relentless with no psychological downtime as security teams are never sure when an attack will occur. And they're acutely aware of the downstream effects that a single failure can create potentially millions of catastrophes. That's such a good point, because that single failure in the mental health of someone who it, it lower both in the technology side of the house, right, obviously, but then in the people side of the house and the defender side of the house, if one slippage, right, one, you're not on your best game because of everything, it results in, in what you said, like it could be catastrophic. And it's, you can affect millions of people by the one error that you make. And go back also to the superhero complex. It's like I have, a lot of us in cyber do have it, and we don't want that to happen, right? The reason we are in our jobs is so we can help prevent that. But when we have an environment where we're understaffed, we're overloaded, I mean, accidents are going to happen. So cue employers. It's like stop understaffing your cyber teams and your marketing teams because that's when mistakes happen. And mistakes can be costly, both in terms of human and financial effect. So anyway, back to CyberMinds. I discovered them because I was asked to participate in a panel about cyber resiliency and the stress factors that contribute to us burning out and how I combat that. So my, and it's funny because CyberMind says the same thing. You can't really control your employer. You can't control how many people they hire. You can't control the attacker environment. You can't control your environment. So it's things like basics, like sleeping, eating. And I see you yawning. I see you yawning, Gianna. So sleeping, eating, um, <laughs> exercise. And there's other things that you can do too. So it's like one of my favorite practices is like to journal and like word vomit out like every weird like worry that's in my head because I overthink and I'm sure a lot of people do. Journaling and breath work and even meditation. Like if I can like lock myself in a room and go meditate for three minutes. Right. Turn that phone off. Put it away. Yes. And try to turn this off. Yeah, the brain. Try to turn the brain off. That's a, those are all great suggestions. And I like what you say about journaling, too, because I think maybe some of us did journaling when we were younger, maybe in our teens to help us process our thoughts and emotions and things that were happening. But as an adult, maybe it slips because it's kind of like a task you have to do, right? It's not as easy to do as to sit for five seconds and do five deep breaths. It's like a little more intensive. So, But I agree with you. I think it's an awesome outlet for stress and for processing things that have happened and to just reduce anxiety in general. And I love that you're bringing up this nonprofit focused on security people on our show too. It's, it's really wonderful. 
I love what these guys are doing at CyberMinds because I think it's so important to start talking about this stuff. And the mental health in cyber has been an increasingly popular topic in the news, particularly when we see layoffs, right? And then we're like, oh, well, the people who are left are going to have to do more, which we all say, I mean, all companies say, no, they don't. And they do. But journaling, I want to like pump that just a little bit more because I... When I do my journal, it's like some people are like handwrite it really neatly. And I don't know about you guys, but since the invention of texting, I can't handwrite anything. It's like literally illegible. So I journal on my computer and I literally write down like a bullet point of what I'm worrying about, like big meeting coming up on Tuesday. And then I write everything that I'm worried about is going to happen or won't happen. And so I word vomit that crap, all that crap out of my head. And then the next time I start obsessing about it, I remind myself, it's like, oh, wait, you don't have to think about that because it's all right there in black and white. And if you want to go back and worry, you can just pick that up again. So you don't have to worry again. You can go worry. You can read your book of worries instead. Yes, so chill out. like a book of woe, a book of cyber woe. Yeah, there you go. That should actually become reality. Let's, let's write that book. Let's ask people what their worries are. Well, why don't I pitch that at your next event and I can do how to create your book of cyber work. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the CEO wants to opine on the uh, marketing plan. It's uh, number one. And- oh, well, yeah. Yeah. The, he- the headline on the homepage should be this. <laughs> yeah. Or working for someone who thinks they know marketing and doesn't. Ha, who's been there? Yep. Everybody. Hands. For our listeners yes, that yes. are not looking at us, we all raised our hands. Well, Mitch, this has been fun. We have to have you back on again because this was a quickie one. And we definitely want you to come and share more about especially your experience doing incident response. I think we could have a whole episode there. But now it's time for our game where we're going to guess what you'd be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing now. And we can't say veterinarian because obviously that is off the table. And I think, Mitch, that you would have a series of haunted houses. Creative, creative haunted houses. Maria, what would you guess? Gosh, um, this is why you always lose. You have all these like crazy like jobs. <laughs> I won last time. I won last time. So I'm no longer Fine. a loser. Fine. That's I'm true. A That's true. You did win. <laughs> I don't know. You give me like radio personality vibes. So maybe a radio talk host, probably. Wow. Maybe, yeah. Ooh. No, miserably. We did miserably. <laughs> Maria wins. Oh, no way. Maria wins. She's oh, got were, it. This you were nodding yeah. no, so I thought I like totally bombed it. Yeah, no, no. It, you're right. So it's like I ended up doing that at IBM too. It's like I was like the Anderson Cooper of like all things exports cool. and security. So I do have a media background. I do have a journalism background. Done a lot of podcasting myself. I love this stuff. And again, fell into it kind of accidentally because I kind of have a big personality and I kind of like being thrown off, like with games like this, right? It's like, I want to see how fast I can dance. So a lot of people are scared to death of that. And I'm like, no, let's run to the fire. (laughs) So yeah, you got it right. That's probably what I do. Or I write a bunch of books, but books don't make any money either. I was going to, I wanted to choose book, but we just talked about yeah. journaling for like five minutes. So I felt like it was a little cheaty, a little bit cheating. <laughs> and also you were a journalist, which is writing. So I also think that's a little, but absolutely valid. And yes, books don't make much money unless you turn them into a TV series. Unless you're JK Rowling. Yeah. Yep. Or you're JK so, Rowling. And she got super lucky or Vampire Diaries. Exactly. Mitch, how can people find out more about you? My first 
source of truth on all things Mitch Main is LinkedIn, which is simply linkedin.com slash Mitch Main. So that's the best way to find me. And I put a lot of my other stuff that I work on outside of kind of work up there as well. You'll find a couple articles like on my resiliency practices. So if you want to learn more about journaling, there is a long form article on that out there, as well as an article about cyber minds, as well as an article about the state of the industry and how we may be our own worst enemy when it comes to hiring practices. So yeah, there's lots of good stuff. LinkedIn is the best way. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And Maria, want to take it away? Yeah. Thank you so much, Mitch, for being on our show today. This was, like I said, way too much wisdom for a Friday. I hope our listeners were taking notes just like I was. And as you know, there's a new episode that drops every Wednesday. So don't forget to subscribe so you can get the alert. Give us as many stars as you can. Tell your colleagues in cyber marketing about the show. And we'll see you next Wednesday. See you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.